Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. just want to say a big welcome again to those who join us online because some people watch us after the event therefore only see the preach so welcome and uh, hope you're blessed tonight I I thought the content that we have um, been exposed to tonight is very um, he's very on the on the button of um, a lot of the things I want to talk about and uh, I think Grace Wins is a great song and I think we need to sing it until everybody gets excited about it okay so we'll be doing that again and again and again for a little while. I uh, also want to talk to you tonight, um, uh, the seventh message of, of the series that I've begun to talk to you about, uh, is the Bible real and for real? Uh, is it the word of God or is it the construct of man? I'll be chewing on this for, for quite some time because I think it's extremely important. Um, incidentally, if you have never read the um, On the Pulse write-ups on our website, you should do it, seriously. Um, if you've not read them for a long time, I recommend you go back. And uh, my view is that, you know, Jenny and Chris will help me and whoever to make sure we do this. We need to read at least one of them out every week in here because they're really good. And uh, they really express um, what is the why of the walk. So I want to read you one of them tonight, okay, and then I want to talk to you a little bit about something very important, okay. Beyond all the arguments about whether it's a book written by men or God, or God through men, or men presuming themselves to be God, or whether it's infallible, which means totally without error, or inerrant, which means without mistakes, it is a marvelous piece of literature charting the human story in a unique way. I love the fact that all of the heroes are villains of one sort or another, who certainly did not qualify for the honor they received by their genetics, ethnicity, or human effort. It's the story of fallen, failing people, just regular human beings like you and me, made good. If the Bible is the record of God's interaction with humanity in all its diversity and complexity, then it's still being written. Not on sheets of rice paper between leather covers, but in and through the hearts and lives and experiences of people journeying through life and bumping into God, though many don't know it yet. You don't realize that you've been bumping into God all of your life. And I dare say that tonight, very clearly and, and, and very specifically, And I say this on the grounds of the consistency of everything that's been said. Some of you have been very definitely bumping into God tonight, particularly in the area of of grace and how you perceive yourself and whether you think you're valued and accepted and and how far you think the love of God reaches, bumping into God. There'll be people tonight who've got some money left, which is not many of them, in the small crowd on Micklegate, which is unusual, but it's a typical January, 
who, believe it or not, will be bumping into God. But God might not look like the old man with the grey beard and the long robe, but they'll be bumping into God. Something, somehow, some way, this grace that flows out of this incredible person who Jesus called Father keeps touching people's lives and looking for a response. It's just that we're not always bright enough to recognize that we bumped into God. And to respond, you know the appropriate response? Hi, God. I'm so glad that we're meeting today. Do you know, the wonderful thing about the God of the Bible as opposed to the God of religion is that the God of the Bible has a wonderful familiar side to him that Jesus said that my father's not ashamed of you and I'm not ashamed to call you my brothers so therefore my father's happy to call you his your father and um, one guy wrote that it's with boldness and with confidence and with freedom that we approach the throne of grace through the blood that Jesus gave for us so so tonight for a few moments in addition to what's already happened we're going to bump into God again (coughs) Now I need to use a little Bible just to talk to you because I guess if we're going to talk about the Bible and what the Bible is, it would be good to look at some of the things the Bible says but look at them maybe through a slightly different lens. In, in, in the New Testament, there, there is a book called 2 Timothy. The reason it's called 2 Timothy is because it's the second book of Timothy and not the first one. It's really clever how the Bible's laid out. 2 Timothy and in chapter 3 and verse 16... This is what it says in, in, in the New International Version translation. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for, and then it gives some stuff. I'm not going to talk about the things it's useful for. I want to talk about the fact of, is scripture God-breathed? And what does that mean? If it means anything. Is it just the... Is it just the the creative mind of an author who's thinking, whoa, it would sound good if we said this, or is it actually a statement of real substance that has really been evaluated and thought through and therefore gives us an insight into the nature of this book that we know as as the Bible. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for. Now, um, fortunately or unfortunately, there are many translations of the Bible, okay? Um, the one we were most familiar with growing up and um, is the one at the core of uh, the English version of the Bible was called the King James Version of the Bible, okay, from 1611. And um, in that version of the Bible, it, it says these words, that same verse reads like this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for now. Given by inspiration and God-breathed are not the same thing. So I have to inform you, unfortunately, that in the translation of Scripture, very often the intent of humanity has crept into how the verses are worded. Now, the King James Version of the Bible, it was wonderful to have the Bible in English for English people because up to that point we only had Latin versions of the Bible on display and that was read in Latin so you never got to hear anything other than what the priest said, the Bible said. Now, 
The priests liked it that way because you could control what people believed because you could say, not only this is what it says, but you could change those words to what you wanted people to believe. Now, unfortunately, religion still has the tendency to want to do that, to take words of holy writ, scripture, talk about how powerful it is, and then interpret it in a way that imposes upon people the interpretation of the speaker, usually to bring some kind of what I call a, a pain-pleasure scenario, right? Make you feel bad so that I can be seen to be able to make you feel good, but then when you feel good, to tell you it's not good to feel good because that's self-righteous, so now you should feel bad, okay? So it kind of goes, it's, 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 it's good to feel bad and it's bad to feel good, so it leaves you nowhere to go. So one of the things about the King James Bible was that Uh, The king was the head of the church, and the king wanted to make sure that the translation of the Bible supported his position as the head of the church. Therefore, this is not my subject for tonight, but throughout the King James Bible, there are little tweaks to the translation which make sure that you understand that you are not only under God, but you're under the king. And if you're not under the king, you're not under God. So therefore, the king's word is like God's word. Now, we could look a lot deeper into that. You can research it on the internet if you wish. But this was the scenario of the instruction that was given to the translators who translated the the King James Bible into English. And one of the reasons that this verse doesn't read God breathed, but reads, reads all scripture is given by inspiration of God, because in that scripture, we were told that we had to obey the king. So if we didn't think all scripture was given by inspiration of God, we might say, why should we obey the king? But once I tell you scripture is given by inspiration from God, if you don't obey the king, you're going to be judged and probably finish up in hell for not obeying the king because all scripture is inspired by God. The sad thing is that that, as in some other ways, is a manipulation of the text to support an objective that is not the objective of the Bible. Okay, so we could get into all the things about whether it does say obey the king, and and unfortunately it really doesn't say that. So, um, the New American Standard Version, again, without being sarcastic, is the New American Standard Version because it's a newer version of the American Standard Version, um, is actually quite good in its translations, but even that says about verse 16, all scripture is inspired. Now, that's, that's better than inspired by God in one sense. It says all scripture is inspired by God. Oh, we're back there again, so it's a little different. However, what it does do is add a little, what they call margin notes on the text. So if you read the New American Standard Version, when it says all scripture is inspired, there's a little number one. And if you go to the bottom of the page, if you're on a hard copy, or if you click on the one, if you're on an electronic copy, it will say, it will say lit, right? Which means literally, literally, God breathed. So here's my question. Why not just flip in, put in there, God breathed? The problem is that God breathed, lit takes us down a different track to inspired By God. Because if we say it's inspired by God, the emphasis is on the scripture itself. If we say it's God breathed, the emphasis is on the breath and the God who breathed. So now we've moved it out of the text and into the 
person. So it doesn't say that the text is a problem, but what it says is the focus of this is not the text. The focus of this is not inspiration driving the text. The focus of this is what does God breathe and why does God breathe it and what does that mean? So literally, if I were to give you a Greek lesson, which I will give you a very brief one, the Greek word is, is, is theopneusis, okay, theopneusis. Now, that's made up of two words, theo, which is what? God, it, it's divine. Theo literally means the divine. Any divine is a theo, okay? And uh, pneusis, well, if I told you it's spelled P-N-E-U-S, S, right? The French still use that spelling for a tire. Why do they use that? Why do we use the word pneumatic? See, we in English are very correct. We drop the P. The P is silent. So now it doesn't become pneumatic. It becomes pneumatic. What do we mean by pneumatic? It's full of air. It's full of breath. It's pneuma. It's breath. So the actual Greek, just like it says in the New American Standard Version, which for me is like, well, why not just say that, is that all Scripture is breathed by God. So we have to understand what do we mean by God breathed. Now, this is where it gets interesting because in Greek, the, the, the word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, which is pneumatic, it's the same word that's in, in this God's breath, pneuma not only means breath, but it means spirit. So in Greek, pneuma is breath, breath is spirit. Now, if we were to now backtrack that, because half the Bible was written in Hebrew, or was passed on orally in in the Hebrew language, and in the Hebrew language, the equivalent word to pneuma in the Greek is the word ruach. Ruach means breath, in Hebrew, but it also means spirit. So we have this connection that somehow in breath, there is spirit. Now, don't get all weird on me with that. What it's really saying is that something more than, than oxygen happens when we breathe a word. Now, I can prove that that's true. I can prove that's true by the number of people we have counselled, the number of people who sit in psychologists and psychiatrists' offices every week, the number of people who on a night like this will say, you won't believe what was said to me this week and it cut me to the core. Why did it cut you to the core? It was just a bunch of words. It was just letters that make up an alphabet from 26 letters, 26 letters in an alphabet pieced together in some way that you can write on a piece of paper or type on a keyboard. Why should it have that effect? upon you because pneuma, breath, spirit are the same thing. So there's power in breath, there's power in spirit because spirit and breath work together and our words are very important because those words carry with them spirit. How many times have you said, I listened to what they said and I could tell what they meant? What were you reading? Spirit. You weren't reading the actual letters of the words that were spoken to you. Words, spirit. So, so when it says all scripture is God breathed, it's saying there's something about breath and spirit and God that when linked together does something pretty amazing. So 
Let me, let me get you to do something here, okay? I want you, I'll do this quickly so you don't go purple and die. Okay? Now, you know that my name is Anth, okay? Okay, I'm Anth. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Anth, okay? Do this. Take a breath. Now say my name without breathing out. No, without breathing out. You cannot speak a single word without breathing out. You can think it, it might be there, but unless you breathe, that word cannot be spoken. So therefore, every word that is spoken is breathed. It's Chris breathed, it's Anth breathed, it's Jenny breathed, it's James breathed, it's breathed. So we know that if, if every word of Scripture is God breathed, it's something that came out of God that can only happen if he breathes it out. Okay? Now, what's also interesting is that in the line that spirit is in words because spirit is breath and you can't say words without breath, Jesus one day said to the crowd, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So it puts a great importance on on two things. Number one, if God has said anything, I'll leave you to decide, then what he has said has come because he has breathed on us and what he has breathed is spirit and spirit has power to change the visible and bring in the invisible. See, when you heard one of those spirit words that somebody spoke that hurt you, it changed you. Some of you 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years on are still changed because of the word that was spoken to you when you were a child. Because spirit changes the natural. It brings something in. So if this is true, then the words that Jesus speaks when we allow that breath to touch us bring something into our lives that changes things. It changes us. It changes circumstances. And likewise, when we breathe out those words that have life, we change things. How many of you know the opposite is also true? That some of our lives were in turmoil and somebody came and just said. And you say, I remember the day when so-and-so said and your life was changed because of it. That's what the Bible's really about. It's not about establishing an institutional document. It's not about something that by inspiration of God you have to know every word and it works. It's something that if if it has any truth in it is because it's alive, because it's breath and because it's spirit. Now, the question would then be, because we've talked a lot out of Genesis chapter 1 and the creation process. What was happening in the creation process? Well, it says that There was chaos and darkness and disorder. And it says the Spirit of God hovered over the water. Now this, again I say to you, is not me saying that creation was six literal days, you know, um, um, uh, and happened a certain way. That that again, we've talked a little bit about, about that. You can make up your own mind on that. 
But what it is saying that in the process that began, if this is telling us there is a process, it's telling us how that process works. The spirit hovered over the darkness. Or in other words, spirit, ruach, breath, on the darkness. It says, and God said, so there was a movement of that breath. And when he said, let there be, into darkness light came, into nothingness something came, into chaos order came. So there is power in this breathed word, okay? Now, I believe that all Scripture is God-breathed. I don't believe it's there to manipulate and control. I don't believe it's there to be a constitution. I think it's there for a much more intimate reason that we have to sift through the stuff that may have been added or taken away or misrepresented or mistranslated because the objective is not how accurately can we rewrite the scripture. The issue is can we feel the breath of God because in the breath there is spirit. Now, Correct me if I'm wrong, but there is a difference between someone breathing down your neck and breathing in your face. See, we have wonderful terminologies because we say, hey, I was at work, I can't stand it. The boss was breathing down my neck all day. What do we mean by that? Okay. And yet anyone who has ever kissed someone will know that in the process of that kiss, there is an intimacy because your face is breathed into. (laughs) We have some strange people. (laughs) See, there's a difference between someone breathing down your neck and breathing in your face. Listen, one is the evidence of a threat. The other is the precursor to a kiss. Now here's the issue. How many of you think the Bible is God breathing down your neck? And how many of you think it's the precursor to a kiss? Because your answer to that question will determine how you read the whole book. The Bible is not God breathing down your neck. It's the precursor to a kiss. Because the spirit, the life, the word of God is beginning to come to interact with you in the most intimate of ways. So specifically God can say, I love you, I care about you. Everything that I speak is for your benefit. If the Bible is not the kiss of God on your lips, then you're not reading the Bible through the right lens. Because all scripture is God breathed. See, the words of the Bible were never intended to make you feel like God was breathing down your neck, but rather that he was wanting to kiss you. That's how I see the Bible. That's what I believe the Bible is meant to be. Because all scripture is God breathed, not down your neck, but the precursor to a kiss. Now, let me address something and then bring things back round. I declared last week, and I think we as, as a, a group of leaders and we as a house embrace this, that 2016 is a year of hope. It's a year of hope for you. It's a year of hope if you wish it to be a year of hope. If you want to be miserable, if you want to decide no way, that's fine. But hope is a wonderful thing. That's why I loved what Beth put on the screen when he said all we had when we were out in the ocean and 
it was lonely and the fear of the waves and the sea, he said, and all we had was hope. Just naked, flagrant hope. That's all we had. But that was the source of the change. So last week I talked to you a little bit about a guy called Abraham who's very significant in the context of this Bible, this God-breathed thing. And we talked about the fact from Genesis chapter 12, 13 and 15 how he had to leave his country, his people, his father's house. He took his nephew with him. His nephew got prosperous because he was with him and then the nephew screwed him over and he finished up looking out at, at a, an environment that was now seemed to be a failure, a waste of energy, like something had desperately gone wrong. Now, I believe that he had made a choice he shouldn't have made, but that's why I love the Bible, because the Bible's full of villains who made choices they shouldn't have made, and God said, okay, I know you made that choice you shouldn't have made, because I told you leave this bunch behind, and you didn't, but here we go. This is where we are. I believe in that this is where we are, God, not this is where we were, okay? I'm not obsessed with the God who's measuring me by the past, but I am obsessed with the God who sees me in the present. We're too busy often trying to remember the things that God has already forgotten. Because he's with us now in this, this moment. So, so Abraham had to have some hope. And so I told you from chapter 13 how he, he was told by God to, in this thing that it's like, well, you know, my, my, my nephew's taken all the good grazing land, he's taken all the watered land, he's taken everything. And he said, I'm left with nothing. But God said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, lift up your eyes from where you are. And he says, and see the land that's before you. See the north, the south, east and the west. And everything you see, I will give it to you. So the important thing was that the one who was breathing, kissing Abraham night now, was saying, in your distress... Whatever you can see beyond this situation, I will give you what you can see. Now, so I ask the question, what do you do when your best idea didn't work and your best efforts weren't enough? Because you find yourself there a lot of times in life. What do you do when your best idea didn't work and your best efforts weren't enough? And so we find Abraham later, and I'm going to give you the story just for a few minutes from the New Testament in the book of Romans in chapter 4. We find Abraham at the core of this thing where God says, I'm with you, I'm breathing, I'm kissing you. Here's what's going to happen, old man. Okay? The stuff you've done that's made it not work, and also you're supposed to have lots of kids. Now, now, uh, I don't want you to think that therefore the promise of God is that you'll have lots of kids because, you know, we don't want Eunice and Eve and everybody else. Will, like, this is the promise of God. We all got to still have lots of kids, okay? Um, that's not the issue, see. But what it is, is that what God was wanting to happen in Abraham's life was not possible from the resources that he had. He was supposed to have a child. He was supposed to have an heir, to the promises that were on his life, but he's a hundred years old. His wife is 90. And here's what it says. L listen to the terminology. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. How, how do you, well, what does that mean? 
And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his face, faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. So here's the scenario. God's asking him to see something come about for which he does not have the resources to enable it. Now you might think that's bad, I think that's good, because what it means is that life is supposed to work beyond our limitations, okay? And for too long we live in our own limitations. But the whole gospel is about not living within those limitations, okay? The kingdom of God is a better than, bigger than, more than kingdom, The new covenant, the promise God has given us in Jesus, said it's built on better promises, with better rewards. It's a better covenant. So so here we've got Abraham. He He can't make this work. So it has to go beyond his capability, and it has to work outside of the resources that he possesses. But it tells you how this was done. Okay? And you say, why did you start with God-breathed? Then you're talking to us about this. Because last week we talked about hope, and hope is important, and hope is a God-breathed thing. See, I believe God wants to kiss you with hope. When he kisses you with hope, and you feel that wonderful kiss, touch your life, because the breath that comes with that is spirit, and the spirit is the words, and suddenly Bible is no longer a book. Bible is a living experience of a living God who brings the divine by his breath, through his spirit, into human beings and changes our lives by that word. This was the word. So I love what it says about Abraham. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. That means that If you were going to naturally take the way that we deal with hope, oh, I hope I'll have enough money to get through the week. Hope I'm not going to get sick. I hope this is not a cold coming on because I've got to work this week. You know, I hope I'm not going to get cancer like my mother got cancer. I hope, see how we use hope as a negative declaration that we are one step from failure. So that's what it means when it says against all hope, against all that kind of hope, against all the natural equation that says, I have the resources, I have the virility, I have the strength, let's get it on, baby, because here comes the child, right? How many of you know a lot of times in life, that's the problem? Our best idea didn't work and our best efforts weren't enough. That's normality in life. But that's where this God-breathed word comes in. All throughout this book, that's where it comes in. Not God breathing down your neck with threats, but God breathing in your face with a kiss to saying, do you know what? We can change that. We can do something about that. So Abraham, against all that hope, in hope believe. Believe in hope tonight. And it says, and so became what he was told he would become, that he didn't have the resources or the ability to become. Just as it had been said to him, just as it had been breathed to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, now now here's what's important, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Now, when I talked last week about lift up your eyes from where you are and see and what you see, um, I had a wonderful conversation with somebody who I love very dearly, who's wired extremely differently to me, who said, that's all well and good, 
But is that being dishonest about what's actually happening around you? Is that asking you not to be truthful about the circumstance? Because you see, some of us, we find no difficulty in, in seeing in the distance. Others, their greatest focus is seeing in the immediate. So all the things that are in between this and that, both are necessary. Both are important. God had to say to Abraham, you can't stare at your circumstances. You have to see beyond. And his seeing beyond was, listen, there's no way you can have a child, but you were told you'll have one. There's no way that you can expand and become and produce, but you were told that you will. However, if you look and see, it's right out there. Now, here's what Abraham did. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Or in other words, he was aware of all the practical reasons why all that out there couldn't be easily reached. And he could have become so obsessed with those practical reasons to say, well, how am I going to fix this in order to get there? But you see, the same God who lets you see that is the same God who wants you to see this differently. Who wants you to be God-breathed. So you don't feel, he says go out there, but I can feel him breathing down my neck. But unless this is fixed, unless that's sorted, unless we do that, unless we address this. That's, that's, do you understand? That's the breathing down your neck word. But when the breathing in your face word comes, you say, do you know what? Abraham says, I really haven't the facility, I haven't the ability, I haven't the resources for this to happen. I can see the promise, but I don't know that. But it says he faced that fact. He didn't overrule it. He didn't ignore it. He didn't lie about it. Everything's okay. He faced the fact his body was as good as dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, the breath that had come, the kiss that had come that said, you're going to be this. He says, but was strengthened in his faith, and gave glory to God. How, how, how do you do that? How, how, do you, how do you become strengthened in your faith when you see the reality that stands in the way? I'll tell you how you do it. By verse 21, by being fully persuaded that God has the power to do what, we, what he had promised. I believe God has the power to do what he's promised. I believe the promise of God was established right at the beginning of this book, which is why I said the major story of Genesis 1 is not about was the earth created in six days. It's about here we have chaos and darkness and disorder, and seven steps later we have rest and peace and hope and life and a new beginning, a new world. That's what it's really about. And so the promise he's talking about here, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he's promised, that's your promise. That it brings us to the, the hope, the peace, the rest, the finishedness, brings us to what is actually in our life, a new beginning. Now, I, I believe that God's desire is just like, just like the reason I proposed to you why the creation story goes over those days, because it's trying to show us that, that creation happens over and over and over and over again, evening and morning, first day, new beginnings, new beginnings, new beginnings. And that's God's desire for you. That's the promise. So it says, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit, credit righteousness for us who believe in him and raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now, two last things. One, isn't it interesting that righteousness had nothing to do with right behavior? 
Isn't it interesting that righteousness was not earned but credited? And yet the breathe down your neck Bible says you've got to earn it, you've got to earn it, you've got to earn it. You've got to earn righteousness. Righteousness is you behaving rightly. There's nowhere in the Bible that says righteousness is you behaving rightly. Righteousness is what God pronounces you to be. The Bible says righteousness is a revelation. It's not something you be, it's something you see. And when it becomes something you see, it's something that you be. See, because righteousness before God is not about our morality, it's about our belief. Abraham believed this promise. Why? Because he didn't feel the breath of Scripture on his neck, breathing down, but he felt the breath of God in his face, saying, I love you and I'm kissing you with this. Isn't it interesting to change the whole balance of what religion wants you to believe, that God is breathing down your neck when actually... God is kissing a guilty world. He's kissing the villains and the victims who make up the story of this thing that we call Bible because that's why it's God breathed. It's God kissing, God kissing, God kissing. And I believe it's the same today. I believe this word that comes to you is God's kiss to you. Saying you may not be resourced, you may not be able. It may be beyond your ability what needs to happen in your life tonight but it happens when you receive the kiss because the life is in the breath and the breath is the kiss and that's the word of God coming to you that's the Bible that I believe and I believe it works for us as I finish the movie said something wonderful it's Walter Raleigh and Elizabeth it's a great movie I need to go see that again super movie old movie but great movie and I loved watching the gal who plays Elizabeth, her face, I mean, she's like, and then they said, so-and-so, so-and-so wants to talk to you, and I love it, she says, let them wait. There's a time in our life sometimes to say, let them wait. Something big is going on, and too often we get distracted with all kinds of stuff going on. You've got to sometimes say, no, let them wait, because something's happening here, I'm, I'm bumping into God. And so he carries on as he talked about hope. All we had was hope. And then he said, and then he said an amazing thing. He said, first, on the first day you see a mist on the horizon. And then on the second day, it becomes a shadow. Then I love what he said, oh, but on the third day. I mean, have you that ever raised around church? That, that should have made your flipping... You know, every nerve in your body should have tingled at that point, but on the third day. See, see, this whole story culminates around God's visible breath in the form of Jesus. And, and, and when he's crucified on the first day, all we saw was a mist. And on, on the second day, all we could see was a shadow, but on the third day. And his words were, it's like a resurrection. It's like new life. And he said, and that, my queen, is the new world. If there is an overriding theme of this thing called the Bible, it's the new world theme. Genesis 1, chaos, darkness, disorder. What do we finish up with? A new world. And people equipped to live fully and completely in that new world. The whole of the gospel is... 
a new world. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The whole issue of the truth of this word is the new world, but renewed people to live in the fullness of that new world. So how do you see it? How do you feel it? you feel every time the Bible's read or somebody preaches? Breathing down your neck. Or can you tonight, just, just for one moment, just, just for a second in time, in your bumping into God, can you actually feel that the face of God is close enough to kiss you? That's the purpose of the Bible, the face of God. Close enough to kiss you so you feel his breath because his breath is spirit. And he said, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The thing is, with any kiss, you can go or you can pucker up and go for it. My version of a moment of salvation is the moment that you pucker up and go for it. You say, okay, God, I think I might have bumped into you and I've got this feeling that you're trying to kiss me and it's okay. You know, something intimate happens in that moment, something personal, something bonding, something dynamic, something life-creating, something spine-tingling happens in that moment because the connection has been made. Listen, that's what the Bible is. The Bible is what God is. And God is what Jesus is. And when we kiss this truth, we kiss the whole thing. And suddenly the new world is our new world and the new life is our new life. Will you receive the kiss tonight? Just bow your heads with me just for a moment. Really is a a, a choice in your own heart. It's a decision to say, yep, do you know what? Yeah, I'm willing to receive the kiss. I want to kiss back. I want this dynamic, this this God-breathed thing to touch my life and, and it can and it will and it has to because God has promised. So in this moment, you might, wanna, you might just want to say, God, I receive your kiss. I, I thank you that in the word and in Jesus and in everything you've done, this is your heart towards me. You, you, your God-breathed spirit is right here right now and, and I, I receive that kiss, that that kindness, that intimacy, that, that interaction with my life so that your promise becomes a reality in me. If you prayed that tonight and if you've meant that and you want to talk to somebody, please, please come and hunt us out here at the front. We'd love to just chat with you some more or tell somebody, but live in it because this is the reality of what the Bible was ever meant to be and actually is if you'll let it be. So we're done. I bless you. We love you. Thank you for being here. And uh, don't forget Wednesday night, Luther. We're going to have a good month talking about this and it all flows out of this understanding as well. So we love you. Appreciate you. You are blessed and you are being kissed. So don't be a prude. All right, we're done.
Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again. Thanks again.